Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Valentine Thomas may be a name that you're familiar with. She's a lawyer from Montreal, Canada. She's been on the Joe Rogan Show. And she's a spear fisherman. What I like to call an underwater hunter. Well, she's also a terrestrial hunter now. She has taken two animals. And she decided to hunt because her ethic underwater is that she wants to eat fish. So she wants to be able to take her own fish and process it and eat it. So she looked at her other side of her diet, which was meat, and she said, why am I not doing this for that side of my life? A fascinating conversation, a short conversation, and hard-hitting, iron-sharpening, iron conversation with Valentine Thomas. All right, so first question off the bat. And this, is, this came from a guy out of the UK, actually, a guy called Dr. Francis Voorhees, and he was talking about how Kenya has banned quote-unquote, terrestrial hunting. Yet they have the best underwater hunting, i.e. sport fishing, not spear fishing, but sport fishing. And to him, there really wasn't a difference between this you know, classic trophy sport fishing and terrestrial hunting. Yet Kenya thought that terrestrial hunting was bad, but the sport fishing, sport hunting was good and is kept. Is there a difference, Valentine? Um, I, I don't think that on a species level, it really matters. It's again, I think it's just about the emotional connection that we have with uh, terrestrial animal opposite to fish. It's, I don't think anybody looks at a fish and says, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> so I think that is, there's a, an emotional connection that is not there with ocean species that is there with, uh, with terrestrial species. 
also is it is it catch and release or can you keep the fish but that makes a big difference so before i and i i'm doing i'm going to do a very good job today because i've only spent nearly a minute and a half without introducing you typically i spend four or five minutes without introducing people um but let's uh, let you introduce yourself uh, because I can feel like this is going to be a, a swift, fast, hard-hitting conversation. So my name is Valentine Thomas, and uh, I'm from Montreal, Canada. And uh, I've been spearfishing and traveling around the world, and it kind of made it my mission to try to educate people on sustainable seafood. And your background is you are a lawyer by training? Yes, I'm a trained lawyer, and then I worked in finance in London for about seven years. So is the idea of sustainability of any resource fallacy or truth? I would say it's a very much gray area and it's extremely subjective. Everybody has a different definition of what sustainable means. And the problem is that also with greenwashing and people are kind of playing on that. And then when you add virtue signaling to the equation, then it's just a shit show. <laughs> what an answer. Jeez. <laughs> Way to deflect an answer. Gosh, dang, man. So you said a couple of things in there. Let's try and unpack it. What would your, what would your definition of sustainability be, Valentine? Because I said Valentine already, and I shoved my freaking foot in my mouth already. <laughs> They're both good. Um, well, for me, I think it's about to consume and eat in a way that will not prevent future generation from eating the same thing as us, which is probably one of the most accepted definition of sustainability. Is sustainability maintaining or is sustainability increasing? I would say maintaining, in my opinion. And that may differ if the species, whether terrestrial or marine, has a population that is in peril or lower population abundance. I would say it's the same because it's, I think that maintaining is always it's it's more balanced because sometimes i've been at lower population of you know especially also in the and terrestrial it's it's very it's it can become a big issue so i think maintaining balance is always what's the best the problem is with fishing is that if you take away one species then you're going to screw up the entire food chain and then it's so it's just not about you can't just say like, oh, yeah, I fished that type of fish sustainably. But then if you're taking a lot of food from a different species, then you're balancing everything. So, again, I think, in my opinion, the key sustainability, sustainability sorry, is really it's maintaining everything and keep a perfect balance. So not just the species, but rather the sustainability of the ecosystem. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that, because that... if I take all the small fish, then what are you doing is that you're balancing everything. And now you're affecting something else. So the true real definition of, 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 of the type of fish who's sustainable is that it's fish in a way that does also does not disturb different species also. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, that comes, uh, you know, in the terrestrial environment, the whole predator-prey balance situation, predator hunting versus not predator hunting, the idea of... Um, sort of adaptive evolution to persecutions, what we used to, which you typically call from a predator hunting perspective, that they can have more cubs in a certain scenario than they can under different types of scenarios. Uh, the balance of prey, the balance of all the ecosystem parts, both fauna and flora. And I think that's one of the things from a hunting perspective 
that people don't often associate with hunters. Yes, definitely. It's, it's overpopulation is a very, very big example of that. That's, if you're disturbing an ecosystem, then a lot of things are going to fall out after that. So technically, we can call you a, a terrestrial hunter? Yes, I guess so. Kind of. You, 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 have, <laughs> you have, look, to us, to me, I'm not going to speak on in behalf of our entire community, but if you have decided to take a life of an animal and you've done it ethically and you've done it responsibly, to us, regardless of whether you started yesterday, this morning, or have been doing it for 45 years, you are a hunter. Then yes, <laughs> I'm a hunter. Then. I went you are twice. A so tell me, um, you've only gone twice. Why did you decide you wanted to do that? Because after living my lifestyle with harvesting my own fish, it was, I just felt more and more of a hypocrite not to do the same thing on land, again, because they're furry and cute. So I just felt that I needed to push my, my food sourcing to also to land because I do eat meat. So it, it just felt more fair to me. And uh, my first time, I cried like a baby. That's okay. A lot of people do. From the moment I pulled the trigger all the way to the moment that I walked to it, I cried. But then things kind of shifted when I was next to it and I saw it was dead. And when um, my friend actually cut the meat and it looked like meat, there was no fur on it, my entire guilt went away. Mm-hmm. And this is when I realized that actually the way I'm seeing food and my emotional connection with me is, is, is so of base because I'm crying when it's alive. I'm crying when it's tumbling down the hill after it's being shot. But the second it looks like hamburger, I'm like, ooh, no problem. I'm excited. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But it's the same thing. It's the same animal. <laughs> exactly the same animal, just a different context, right? And the way that I can describe it is. And a lot of people don't think of it this way, but when you start thinking about the emotions that someone goes through for the first time, like you went through, you, you crossed a chasm. You crossed a chasm. And yes, you've done it underwater. And as you've already articulated, it's different because fish don't have, they don't have that personality, quote unquote, right? They don't have fluffy cuteness. Just, it's just this thing this very aerodynamic animal that lives underwater. It just There's no real personal anthropomorphic type perception tied to it. True, but also I think there is the fact that most of us are being used to see a whole fish on the table growing up. And that's a good point. Well, I think most of us haven't seen an entire deer being served on the table. I mean, I have because my dad was always making, you know, the whole lamp thingy. <laughs> but it's, it's not something that, you know, people normally used to see. So I think that it's, it's, there's a big side of habits when, it, when I think when it comes to that and when you're used to it. Because my second time hunting, I didn't cry. I didn't feel bad. Of course, there was, there was like a, a, there was a, a human reaction of feeling a little bit bad about it, but it was nowhere near the first time. Yeah. And it's already became normal i guess for me to 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 hunt and um yeah i did feel a bit bad for a couple of days but the second i processed it and really cut everything and butchered everything then it just became part of of the the, the entire circle but 
uh, my first, the deer that I shot was a very bad shot and it had to be put down. So I insisted on doing it myself sure. because I just wanted to, again, it was me that had a bad shot. So I needed yeah. to be able to go through the entire process. And yeah, and we're was, not being, and, that was and, hard. <laughs> yeah, and hunters aren't, you know, we, we often tend to put ourselves on pedestals in that we don't do anything wrong. Everything goes perfectly. The shot always is perfect, immaculate, instantaneous death. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And you admitting to that is 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 great because that's part of being a hunter. Um, you know, when you pull that trigger, that instant, that that eighth of a second, thousandth of a second between life and death, right? And that's what you did, and that's what the emotional context was of why you cried because you were the instrument of death. And yeah. even though death underwater, you you experienced it. That there's something different about death on land and it's something that we unfortunately as a society are disconnected from because you see the hamburger in the in the shop right you see it, it there's no connectivity to where that thing came from and what it was what did it look like but really enough this feeling translates sometimes into ocean species so i got i got a marlin that i posted about recently and then it was shocking to me how people saw the marlin is something that you shouldn't be harvesting, but then a grouper or, you know, or a snapper, how this is fine. And it's, 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 um, it's just, I just don't understand why. I mean, I, I do understand on a certain extent, but why would you get offended by this, but not by something else? When you're talking about a marlin that's that, that size grow to that size in about five years, but in a grouper it took 30 years to grow to, something that's maybe you know 15 mm -hmm. pounds or something so it's it's again sustainability is very subjective well it's the problem is a lack of knowledge behind it yeah it's the same thing that happens with hunting it's why is there such an affinity with lions and people hunting elephants and and it's the big mega charismatic animals that you're like no 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 they they they're in a different echelon to themselves right there's nothing, there's nothing different between an elephant being hunted and a deer being hunted. The only difference there is that there's a personal preference that's very much skewed by misperceptions as well as disnification, essentially, of those huge, mega charismatic animals. True. And it's when you think about socially accepted things to eat, like, how can you be angry at hunters for? shooting a deer but you eat lamb you eat a baby you order a baby at the grocery store and you cook it and you eat it <laughs> no absolutely 100 percent, 1000 percent. so you've obviously come to hunting later in life um when did you when did you have these two hunts last year uh the, my first hunt was about three years ago and then i went in february in texas this year okay did you have any before you decided to become a, a hunter, did you have any misperceptions of who we were supposed to be, of what it was supposed to be? Um, one of my biggest misconceptions was that I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think that I could get used to it or that I had what it takes. So that was a big shock to me. But it's a shock that also came with, with spearfishing. You know, I'm, I'm a you know I'm a tiny skinny girl, and then it's it's 
for me, being a hunter is not something that I ever been associated with that I thought could be possible of even winning my scales whatsoever. And it's it's crazy. Definitely the thing that shocked me the most was how I had that homo sapien hunting instinct in front of me and inside of me. And it's I'm born and raised in a big city in Montreal, and it's not like I've ever been exposed to it in any shape or form. So to discover that, you know, who I am as a human and a species myself, but that was the biggest surprise to me. Did you, I don't know how to catch this question. Um, what, what was it that want, you just described it, right? You described this thing that's inside you, right? This thing that, you know, the reason why your, your ancestors are here today is because they probably were very good hunters. People have been, people have, uh, accused me of being more of a gatherer than a hunter since I'm not very successful when it comes to hunting. Um, <laughs> but uh, w- w- again, was it just a, a curiosity thing? Like your first spearfishing adventure, like I'm going to go get a spear gun, I'm going to go with some friends and I'm going to do this and then decide, oh, geez, this is something I really, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of, you know, make a career out of essentially. It was food. It was just food is my biggest passion. I've been cooking since I'm four. So it's kind of to be able to expand what I catch and the species that I get to eat. So it was very, the first two years, I didn't even like spearfishing. I didn't like the part when I was in the water. First of all, I was petrified and I was super nervous. And I, all I wanted was to grab the fish and, and, and leave. And then, of course, after years of spending time in the ocean, I fell in love with it. And then, you know, the, the love story kind of evolved. but. It was all about the food, and then it was the same thing with with the meat, especially with all the crazy story that we hear now about, you know, the stuff that you find in the meat that's not exactly what it's supposed to be. Same with the fish, and it's just this, mm. a lack of, of regulation and care, I think, for the population when it comes to, to food that's being sold to us. So that's also something that really drove me to, to take care of it myself. So going back to the whole sustainability thing, which is obviously tied to the ethic of self-sustaining yourself, feeding yourself, knowing where the food comes from. I want to I just touch, and I don't want us to get obviously off on a, on a massive rail, but this is the first time that uh, we've been able to talk about it. Obviously, there was that crazy documentary that came out called Sea Spiracy. <laughs> and it was just this, you know, and we've had a couple of crazy documentaries come out about hunting, right? Um, it was sensationalist, which happens with hunting. It was a lifestyle opposite to what we do as hunters and as a sustainable fisherman, like this documentary did. And it came up with one solution, which stop was eating anything. stop <laughs> eating anything. <laughs> so, one, let me get your thoughts on that. I, I know you're going to have some strong thoughts on it, but maybe take a step back after those strong thoughts and go like, okay, how do we, how do we counter something like that that goes absolutely crazy in the world that we live in today? It's, the, the problem is that it, it, it did, it, it shed the light on important uh, topics and important issues that we have in the ocean or commercial fishing. The problem is that when you don't stick to facts and you don't stick to practicality of of how you want to feed people, then this is when it turns more into the virtue signaling than than anything else. So it's 
misinformation is everywhere on every topic. So it's, you just have, people just need to be more educated on, on what's happening, on the real problems, and then you can make better decisions. But I cannot tell people, stop doing that. Yeah, but what do I do, what do, I do instead? I don't know, you should do nothing. It makes, it's just not, it's not productive. It's not realistic. It's not viable. And then how you're not going to make any change by doing, by, by doing that. It's just not possible. So what do we Did do? Did I answer your question? Well, what do we do, Valentine? Like, like the legislation you, you should change. First of all, brands should not be, they should be severely punished for greenwashing, for pretending that something is sustainable when it's not. So that's they just should, for, for the audience's edification, a definition of greenwashing. Yes. And it's, 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 it's kind of this feel-good type of little thing that I do for consumers. And it's just, again, it just doesn't change anything. And it doesn't, it just doesn't create any realistic change. And what would be an so, example of greenwashing? Um, it would be, by example, a pack of fish, frozen fish fillet, and it says sustainably caught. And you say, okay, who, who said it was sustainably caught? And then there's no explanation, nothing. And it's crazy that brands are allowed to do that. You're allowed to write pretty much anything you want. It's, 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 it's insane. So it's, I think that with, with, that's a big issue that we have in society right now is that people are allowed to talk shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Say whatever, say whatever. <laughs> I didn't know shit was French. It's, You're French. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. Part of my French is an expression. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's basically, it's, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, it's from politicians, from stores, from brands. You should not be allowed to misinform the public. And this is a big problem. So I think, in my well, opinion, is that a societal changed. problem in general? It the is. fact that we have this social media platform, this thing that is that every Joe on this planet has a voice and it doesn't matter. Nobody does any research anymore. And the voices that are the loudest went out. Yes, and now the, the the machine is just too big now to 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 change. There's too much information to be able to control it anymore. They should have done it from the start, but now yeah, it's... but we can't just give up like that. We can't just say it's too big. <laughs> we can't just say that it's you know the machine is the machine. So what do no, we but do? I, I I think they should regulate it. They should have fines or think consequences to just babbling shit online. Okay, so what what would that look like? I'm not sure if it's even realistic. <laughs> There's a live police going around and decided who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> no, exactly. No, but that's the thing, right? You've got your, I think, you know, if I had to play whatever, whatever you want to be for the day, I wish people, I, I would say that pushing out facts, right? Getting the bigger names, the bigger audiences, you have a huge audience. Understanding the facts, understanding the truths. It's the kind of stuff that we do every single day. The facts and the truth. And thinking outside the box, essentially. Like, we, we've got to constantly evolve ourselves in this little, this, this thing that we live in, right? Every day, this, this phone that sits in our hand that, that, that we live on. We have to constantly evolve ourselves. We have to constantly start pushing the facts and the truths. And here's my biggest pet peeve. And this comes from a hunting perspective, but it probably comes from a fishing perspective as well. Is that when it comes to virtue signaling, like you say, 
there are a lot of big celebrities. Now I'm talking monster celebrities that are anti-hunting. Yes. But there are also monster celebrities out there that are pro-hunting. <laughs> but they're silent. They are silent. Why are they silent? Because they're afraid of getting canceled. They're afraid of, I'm going to be looked down on. I'm not going to lose. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose everything I've worked for. And I'm like, why? Why would that happen? And then you start picking it out and you say, okay, I see what you're saying. I see you individually, how that could happen. And so why don't we find a hundred of you? And a hundred of you come out at the same time. It's almost like you've got to, somebody gave me this analogy. It's like homosexuality. Homosexuality used to be taboo. Yeah. Right? It was in the closet. Yeah. Hunting was, wasn't taboo. Today, homosexuality is out. It's out of the closet. It's accepted. It is something that some people think is cool. You know, whatever you want to call it, it is part of society. It is, this is it. This is here. Not in the closet any longer. Hunting is in the closet now because you're not, yes. you're not, you don't want to talk about it. Don't talk to us about it. We're not going to tell anybody about it. And if somebody opens the closet door and punches and us in the nose. And if you do it, don't say it. <laughs> we'll come rushing out of the closet and then we'll, we'll start punching and then we'll go back in the closet and close the door and, you know, please don't touch us. Leave us alone. Kind of deal. And it's almost this acknowledgement of could we, can we be a little bit more honest? Can we step outside and say, these are our truths. This is our facts. And get those hundred celebrities to say, that's right, that's, that's true. Well, the, the, the problem goes with, with, it extends to fishing too, because when you look at pretty much any ocean conservation organization, mm-hmm. they don't talk about, they don't talk about what to eat. They don't, they talk about plastic. Everybody talks about the shorts. Everybody talk about the easy little thing. And it's, it's. The problem is that, again, by putting things in a closet that bothers us, is that we're making the situation even worse. And this is a problem that we're having, again, with the fear of being canceled and stuff like that, is that we, we, we're afraid of having those hard discussions because it's such an emotional su- subject, and it's also so personal that it's, it's hard to, to, to talk about it publicly. I think and we're also afraid of being wrong in some cases. Yes. I mean, I guess this is why this is why the whole versus jailing is about. It's about, you know, making you feel better about everything that's happening and you're like that you're not sure that you should be doing or not. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know, somebody can tell us the only ethical thing and the only ethical way to live is to never eat anything that's coming from an animal. And it's it's any human being, it's normal that you would be like, Oh shit, am I an asshole? It's just normal to question yourself. You know, we're all human, so we have, we're, all, we're all doubting yourself and our, and our value system. But it's, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's, the problem is that on, on every single side of them, it's, you know, I don't think it's okay either for any hunter, people we meet to be like, oh, vegans are all like ridiculous human beings right, and blah, blah, right. blah, blah. It's not, it's not, it's, 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 it's not okay either. It's, Whatever you believe in, it's fine. You can, we can have discussions. We can disagree on different topics. But it's, we just should be able to, to, to talk about stuff with putting the emotional reaction on the side. And this is what 
society is not able to do it. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. I think that we have segmented ourselves that you cannot speak to the other side. The other side is taboo, right? You can't side with the other side as well, because if you do side, then you're seen as a traitor, right? Yeah. To your own kind. And that, as I started by saying, I think we're afraid of being wrong. And I think you, you gave a perfect example in the beginning in which sustainable fishing is not perfect. And there are great sustainable fisheries. And then there is not so great sustainable, quote unquote, fisheries. Yeah. And being able to be honest about that, acknowledge that, say, yes, you're right. Hunting, yeah. Do we have some scumballs that just decide to go hunting because they love killing stuff all the time? Yeah. But that's not the majority. Like the same thing as, you know, for me, somebody like the, the, the director of Seaspiracy, who's super dogmatic about his, his views of the world and just pointing fingers, it's not, it, it, it's not okay. And I don't care if you don't eat animal, it doesn't make you a better person. By the way you're attacking people around you, it's not it's not okay because when you think about it, there's this poor group of people, right? You have the vegans, you have uh, the people who eat meat and um, and the seafood and you care about where it's coming from. Sure. You have the people who eat meat and fish who don't care at all where it's coming from, and mm -hmm. you have the hunters and and, and and gatherers. Well, really enough, the group of per of people who's normalized is the people who eat meat and seafood and doesn't care at all what's coming from. This is the main group that's considered the normal in society. And it's the hunters are probably the one that is furthest apart. When you think about it, it should it shouldn't be that way. It's it's the way we are, it's our it's a, it's our nature and it's it's as you know, the contribution that we make just even by by purchasing licenses and also by just being outdoor. It's not because you're you're in a small apartment in New York City that you know you don't eat meat that it is necessarily gonna change things. I mean you and I we spend a lot of time outside, time of the ocean. As I know what's happening, I see it that the, the proximity creates such a strong care and such mm -hmm. a strong love and respect for what's around us that it's mm -hmm. not because I you know, if I pick up a fish once in a while and you pick up a deer, that, that you don't care. It's such mm -hmm. a biggest misconception of hunters is that we don't care, don't respect what's around us. Yeah, it's amazing. It is, it is the largest misconception. I totally agree. The fact that we are the stewards of the land, right? We are the people who invest in the land, the people who hand the land down from generation to generation to be able to pass on this tradition of looking after the land, looking after the wildlife. This is how we care for it. Um, the fact that there's so much wildlife around should be the clearest indication that we care for it. You know, look at just back in the 1800s, 1900s, market hunting rampant, no regulations at all. All of a sudden in the 1900s, early 1900s, sportsmen were like, wow, we don't have any more wildlife. It's gone. We need to do something about it. Okay, we need to stop hunting, number one. Number two, we need to put regulations in place so that when we are able to hunt again, we can take very selective animals and the right number of animals. Three, let's put legislation in place such that we can contribute back to wildlife restoration and conservation. I can guarantee you those three stories nobody hardly knows about. It's definitely not because it's sadly the only thing, again, is this 
people have trouble going past the emotional narrative. It's if you, somebody who doesn't hunt, who feels offended by hunting, it's going in their head. Oh my God, you killed Bambi. Oh my God, you killed Bambi. Oh my God, you killed Bambi. It's just, it's the only thing that they can think about. And it's not, it just doesn't, it doesn't allow themselves to think about outside of that box. It's a strategy. Do you think it's worthwhile even talking to those people? Do we rather just focus on the middle? Because that's what we do. We focus on the middle, the non-hunters, that, that main normalcy group that you just talked about, right? To us, they don't really care either way. You know, it's the vegans, the antis that are really like, I am not changing my opinion. Yes, it's it's often the, the, the group that's the most extremist. It's definitely definitely in the, on the vegan side, but it's, I've I had people with very strong opinions and then after having a discussion with them, they, they've managed to change their mind, they, but that's because they were willing to, to listen. But it's, <laughs> sadly, we're, you know, in law, when you're, you're you know, you have you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. As a hunter, you're guilty until proven innocent. So it's, it's kind mm, of the like other that. way around for us. And we have to, it's defending ourselves constantly. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of, you know, discussions. And again, trying not to lose your head and to lose your cool. And I just start yelling, being like, oh, you just don't get it. <laughs> but it's, yeah. No, you're totally correct. And I like the fact that I like the fact that you're using the term we. Because as I started by saying, it doesn't matter how long you've been a hunter. Once you're a hunter, you're a hunter. So I didn't um, even I didn't post a photo of my hunt. You don't need to. I was I Why was, would you need to? I post a photo of a pheasant hunt and people got offended. I was like, I've been posting fish for six years. And you never said anything. And all of a sudden, I put a bird and you, you start crying about it. Yep. It's, no, it's, it's just, it blows my mind every single time, every single time how people react and how there's very often a lack of understanding when it comes to, to nature. Yep. No, 100%. My well, look, first I'm question not- is do you eat fish and do you eat meat? Now, the answer yes, I'm like, I have all the arguments that you're not going to win. <laughs> it is a very classic response, right? And it's unfortunate that in a, in a one-on-one conversation, it's very easy to get through that hurdle and to show the hypocrisy in the argument, right? Yes. However, online, they become very... Um, They've quickly become a vegan in a discussion like that, right? They use the out. And maybe sometimes they are vegans. But sometimes, most often not, I think they have an out. Yeah, but also it's, it's, it's with online, there's this big phenomena of everybody's watching my response. Everybody is. So if you're having a one-on-one discussion, people are going to be more willing to either admit that they're wrong or that, you know, that they could see something else. But when they know that they respond, they make a comment, they know that people are reading, they know they have an audience to what they're saying. But that creates, in my opinion, also another barrier of having them changing their mind or seeing something else. Because you don't have to admit just to me that you're wrong. You have to admit to part of a million people that you're wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, I know that you are busy. You are a very busy lady. And I appreciate you setting aside some time to have some 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 quick back and forth questions about some serious topics um 
Any final words? Any last thoughts on your heart? Just live according to what you value as a human being and what you want your kids to see and experience. And then that's it. That's doesn't matter if people disagree with you. Everybody is always going to disagree with you. <laughs> I gotta learn that a little bit better. I hate it when someone disagrees with me. <laughs> I hate to. <laughs> <laughs> Valentine, thank you. Much appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.